0: You guys, can go ahead and grab a seat if you're new. My name is Byron. I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as a pastor. It's so amazing to see all of our guests. If you're watching online, go ahead and leave us a comment, let us know where you're watching from. I'm excited to have you here today. And we are continuing our study through 1 and 2 Samuel in a sermon series that we are calling the Gospel According to to David. How many of you guys have enjoyed this series so far? You love and learning about life of David and how we can apply that to our own lives as well. David is probably the most influential and popular character in all the Bible. In fact, David has more chapters dedicated to his life than anybody else. 66 chapters throughout the Bible, over 2000 verses He wrote the book of Psalms, or the majority of them are inspired by his life. And even in the New Testament, it's always looking back to the life of David. God wanted us to learn from David and his life and how we can apply it to ours. And so today we're at the halfway point where... Five weeks in, we only got four more weeks in this study, and I get the great privilege and honor to talk to you about something that is incredibly important. It is so important. If you understand this one thing then it is going to radically transform your life. It's going to change the way that you view God. It's going to change the way you view the situations that you find yourself in. It's going to open up your mind to a whole new perspective of living. It's something that we all go through. It's something that we all wrestle with. It's something we all struggle with. And it's an area that we can all grow in. Today, I get the honor to talk to you about waiting. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about, wait for it, we're going to talk about waiting. How many of you love waiting? Okay, if you have your hand up, go ahead and keep it up, because how many of you are liars? There we go. (laughs) We hate waiting. We live in an instant gratification culture. We want when we want it, and we want it not now because that takes too long. We want it like yesterday. We want it as soon as we thought it. That's the way that our culture and society works. You remember whenever you were a kid and you would log on to the internet? You remember this sound? Beep, boop, beep. You remember that song? Bring, bring, bring. Everyone, uh, all the youth and all the, you know, Gen Z, they're like, what is he doing? What is that sound? Go ask your grandparents, all right? We used to actually have to log on to the internet. And if somebody else was on the phone or grabbed the phone, it would kick us off the internet. And I just remember as a, as a, as a young teenager, I would, I would go to like Napster and I would try to download a song. Right, I, like the new Creed album just came out and I'm like, I wanna listen to it, arms wide open. And so I sat there and it took like two days on you know Napster to download something. And then my grandmother, she used the phone for something. I'm like, mom, why? It didn't, I didn't even download. Two days wasted waiting for this thing to download. Like we don't, we live in an instant gratification culture because now if my YouTube video buffers for one second, I throw my phone across the room because I hate waiting. We don't want just any type of shipping. We go on Amazon, we order Prime with two-day shipping. That's what we want. I mean, even if something is cheaper somewhere else, I'll still order it from Prime, pay a little bit extra so I can get the free shipping. Anybody else with me? You hate waiting, I hate waiting. But here's what we learned through the life of David and through the storyline of the Bible is that anyone who ever did anything great for God always had to go through a season of waiting. When you look at the Bible, Abraham, he had to wait 99 years to receive the promise that God had for him. Moses, he had to wander through the wilderness with the grumbling Israelites for 40 years before they were able to enter into the promised land. Jesus, he himself had to wait He had to wait 30 years before he went into public ministry. He had to wait another three years along with the disciples before he would die on the cross and he would redeem us from our sins. He had to learn how to wait as well. And so if Abraham had to wait and Moses had to wait and all the saints of the Old Testament waited and Jesus waited, David had to wait, which means you and me, we're going to have to learn how to wait as well. And so if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5, where the sermon title today is called, When You Have to Wait. And we're going to learn four lessons from the life of David about the importance of Waiting. waiting. All right, here we go. Here's what we see, picking up in chapter 5, verse 1. It's the day that David becomes the king of Israel. After 21 years of running from Saul, after the prophecy he received from Samuel that he would be the future anointed king, serving in the fields as a shepherd, serving in the courts as a musician, running for his life as Saul throws spears at him on the front lines of battle as a warrior. We've seen all of this and eventually his time has come. It's his day of coronation. It's the day that David Sees the promise of God. It's the day that David officially becomes the king. Here's what we read in chapter 5, verse 1. All the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And they all came to David at Hebron. And they said, we are your own flesh and blood. but I hate waiting it's crazy but here's what Ashley reminds me funny story about waiting she reminds me that all of this is just payback for the day that I I made her wait too long see my daughter Ruth she was born she's two years old and whenever Ashley was pregnant with her she she's just like her mom she never shows up anywhere on time And so the due date for Ruth came and went. We, we went to the doctor and we're like, hey, we're ready. And the doctor was like, hey, it's not time yet. You're going to have to, what's the word? You're going to have to wait. And so we wait and we wait. She goes over her due date by, what, almost 10 days over the due date. Ashley's like, you know, she's like big and round, large and in charge. Like, I wait. She's, she's barely able to walk. She's trying to do that pregnant woman hobble thing. And I just feel so sad and sorry for her. And she's waiting and she's waiting and it's getting more and more painful. And then the day comes, the contractions get really tight. And she's like, I think now is the time. And so we have our little go bag. We load it in the car. We rush up to the hospital and the doctor says, as you're not ready, you have, to, you have to wait. And so they send us back home and we go home and we're waiting and Ashley's in pain and Ashley's, you know, doing that breathing thing. Every, every, all, the, all the ladies in the room, you know what I'm talking about, right? The contractions are there and she's like, I'm ready. And so I'm like, all right, let's go. And so we go back to the hospital and the doctor says, you're not ready. You're going to have to have to wait. And so we go back home and we wait until Ashley's in pain again. She's like, you take me to this doctor now. So we drive all the way back up to the doctor and the doctor did, did the little thing, did the little test, you know, that, that is creepy anyway. So <laughs> I was going to do the hand motions, but I decided to leave that part out. So the doctor does the test and said, hey, you're still not dilated enough. You're going to have to wait. And I said, listen, there is a room up there. Could you just let us wait in this room where it's nice and convenient and comfortable? We'll wait up there. Said, sorry, sir, you're not able to wait. You're going to, in the hospital, you're going to have to go back home. So here's what we did. We went to Walmart. And we go, we go walking around Walmart for like an hour, and then we find one of those medicine balls. And so we're sitting in like aisle six, and Ashley's like bouncing around on one of these medicine balls in Walmart, trying to gyrate the hips, trying to make it a little bit easier for the baby to come out. We're doing jumping jacks, you know, in the Barbie aisle, getting ready. And we're trying to do everything we can to be able to speed the process up. And we go back to the hospital, and the doctor says, still not ready. You're going to have to Wait. And I said, listen, I'm tired of just driving back and forth, right? I don't want to do this again. So, so is there anything we can do? And the doctor said, well, there's two things. Don't come back up here if you're, unless your water is broke or you can't breathe, Okay, that's it. If your water breaks or you are unable to breathe, that's when you need to come back up here. So we, we go home and I have this conversation. Listen, babe, I am not gonna drive all the way back to the hospital again. So unless your water breaks or unless you can't breathe, we're gonna stay here until the baby comes. And so we waited and Ashley's in pain. She's all posted up on the couch. She's screaming and breathing and crying. And, and I do what any loving husband of the year would do. I go upstairs and I go to bed. <laughs> True story. And she starts screaming, Bye, Red me to the hospital now. I'm like, Did your water break? Said, no. I said, We ain't going. <laughs> take me now. I'm like, Can you breathe? We ain't going. And so I just went to sleep. And then all of a sudden it's like two, three o'clock in the morning, and I feel a hand on my leg, like this. And I sit up real fast. And Ashley looking like Jesus on the day of wrath with fire in her eyes and a sword in her hand. She's like, take me to the hospital now. And I said, yes, ma'am. And so we loaded up in the car. We drive to the hospital. we, We get with the doctor, and I'm like, okay, like, when do we get the drugs? When do you administer the epidural? When are we gonna get in the room? They say, first we have to, we can't give the drugs before we wait. We gotta wait and check everything out. And so the doctor did the hand thing again. And the doctor said, Oh. I said, must be ready. Must be time. How long until we, we have the baby? And the doctor said, the baby's coming now. You waited too long. <laughs> and 30 minutes later, Ruth was born. Actually was old. She plays me. She's like, the reason we're always late is because you made me wait. And I didn't get that epidural. And I had no drugs. And I had to do all that all natural. So if I had to wait, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> so I, I don't really mind waiting sometimes. But we hate waiting, don't we? But waiting is an important lesson and an important thing for us all to understand, for us all to appreciate, and for us all to be able to apply it to our lives. Waiting is so important because here's what waiting does. Waiting prepares us to be able to receive the promises that God has for us patience, if you're taking notes, pull that out, patience is what prepares us to receive the promise that God has for our lives. Anyone who ever did anything great, they had to learn how to wait. When we learn how to wait, it is preparing us. It is helping us. It is teaching us to trust on God. It is teaching us to depend on God. In those waiting seasons, it is teaching us to read our Bibles. It is teaching us to press in through prayer. Those waiting seasons, they teach us to worship they teach us to live in godliness and holiness they keep our hopes up the waiting season is a foundation for our faith it is in that waiting that we begin to see god do amazing things in our life it is patience that prepares us to receive the promise of god see if we were to try to rush when ruthie was born then it would cause complications in our life and some of you you're trying to rush what god wants to do and that's the reason it's causing complications in your life You cannot rush the hand of God. You cannot hurry God up. Instead, you have to learn how to wait because it's in those moments of patience that God is preparing us to be able to receive the promises that he has for us. David, he had to learn how to wait. See, whenever we first met David in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he was a little boy, maybe 10, maybe 12 years old, and the prophet comes to town. That the old king Saul, God had rejected him because of his disobedience, because of his rebellion, because of his greed, and because of his arrogance. God says, I have rejected Saul, and I am selecting a new king. And I'm looking for a king that is a man after my own heart. And so Samuel, he goes to Jesse's house. And he lines up all of the sons of Jesse's house. And he goes down the list. Is this the king? No. 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 Do you have any other sons? And there's one more. He's out in the fields. He's a little shepherd boy. His name's David. We don't really worry about him a whole lot. He said, go ahead, bring him on in here. And God says, that's my That's the one. That's the future king of Israel. So a little boy, 10, 12 years old, Samuel, he pours out the oil and he anoints David as king. Now, here's what we would think. We think the moment that we are anointed is also the moment that we're appointed, but that's just not the case. See, he was anointed as a king, but he had to wait another 21 years until he was able to get his place, his rightful place upon the throne of Israel. He had to learn how to wait. And it was in those waiting seasons that we see him develop character. It's in those waiting seasons we see him earn a reputation. It's in those waiting seasons we see how he pours his heart out to God, how he worships, how he prays, how God is developing who he is on the inside. It's in those waiting seasons that God built him up to become the man that he would be. That he wouldn't be a leader like Saul who led out of fear, but he would be a great king who would lead from faith. It was in those seasons of waiting that God was doing the deepest work in his life. Right now, for many of you, you find yourself in a season of waiting. I wanna encourage you that even in those waiting seasons, God is doing some of the deepest work that he can in your life. I know many of you, you come here and you're, you're in a season of waiting. You're in a season of waiting. Maybe when it comes to your children, that you raised them in church, you prayed over them, you read David and Goliath to them when they were a little kid, they went to Royal Rangers, they went to Awanas, but now they've run away from God, they've rejected the faith, they're living as prodigal sons and daughters, and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, and it seems like the more you pray, the further they get from God. You're in a waiting season. Can I just encourage you, don't give up in those waiting seasons. God is still working in those waiting seasons. Maybe you are sick and you're praying for divine healing over your life. You say, God, I believe you can heal, but are you going to heal me? And you come and you pray and nothing happens. And then you pray again and nothing happens. And you come down to the altars. We anoint you with oil and you still don't have that breakthrough in your life. You're in a season of waiting. Or maybe it's in your marriage. That you got married and now you have kids and now there's bills and now everything's piling up and it's added stress and your relationship is fractured and your husband or your wife, they're no longer emotionally or spiritually engaged and you're praying for them and you're waiting on the day your husband comes to church with you. Or you're waiting on the day that your your wife extends forgiveness and that you're reconciled in that marriage and and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you find yourself in a season of waiting. Maybe it's because you're you're single, ready to mingle. You're waiting on dating, and you're ready to get mating. That's where you find yourself at. <laughs> and you find yourself in a, in a season of singleness. I just want to encourage you: do not compromise your convictions or take the easy way out. Because good things come to those who wait. It is in that patience that God is preparing you to be the person that He as God has created you to be. Keep waiting. We all find ourselves in these seasons of of waiting. Like David, sometimes it takes 20 plus years for us to see what God is going to do in our lives. You know, for many of us, I just want to encourage you is that you may not see what God is doing, but that doesn't mean that he's not doing anything. You know, there's a difference between what's happening and what's going on. That you may not see it, but God is still working. God is probably doing a million things in your life right now, and you might only be aware of two of them. Do not rush, do not force, and do not push the hand of God on your life. Learn some lessons while you find yourself in that season of waiting. So let me give you four lessons from the life of David when it comes to waiting. The first lesson that we're gonna see here is this, is that when we are waiting, stop giving up. Look at how the story begins. It says, all the tribes of Israel, they came to David at Hebron and said, we are our own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you are the one who led Israel on the military campaigns. Do you think that David ever felt tempted to give up? Do you feel like David ever, you know, wanted to take a day off? Do you you feel like David ever wanted to throw his hands up and just say, God, I've had enough? Do you think he ever wanted to do that? Absolutely he wanted to do that. I mean, he goes from being anointed as king, and then his father, Jesse, says, hey, get back in the fields and start watching those sheep. But I'm the future king of Israel. No, you're still the youngest son in my house. Go back there and watch the sheep. He, He probably felt like there was a time in his life he wanted to give up. And then he gets, goes to the palace where he begins to become a musician playing the harp and the lyre for Saul. And he's playing and building reputation and favor and then all of a sudden Saul starts throwing spears at him. Like his job was literally getting spears thrown at him. Like if you had that job, you would quit, right? If you showed up to work and your boss was throwing spears and trying to kill you, you'd probably quit. You'd call HR, you said, I, this ain't worth the pay. I'm not coming back here again. But David, he was loyal, and he honored the position, and he continued working. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. When we see David go into the front lines of battle, Saul tries to kill him by having everyone removed, and he leaves him out there all by himself and alone. And yet David, he still conquered. David, he still fought. He still warred. He still brought victory back to the house. Saul tried to trick him one time and said, hey, I'm going to send you to to the Philistines, and I want you to bring me back 100 foreskins. And David comes back and he says, I didn't just bring you 100. I see your 100 foreskins and I raise you another 200 foreskins. Brings them right back. How did he get them? I don't know, but he got them. He didn't quit in any season, in any moment, in any opportunity. David, he did not give up. He did not give in. He did not quit. Listen, there's a lie that many Christians have come into agreement with, and here's what it is, that if something is hard, it must not be from God. You ever heard the saying, God will not give you more than you can handle? Okay, I hate that saying. In fact, I've actually found the opposite is to be true, that oftentimes God will give you way more than you can handle so that way you can learn to hand it over to him. That you do not just rely on your strength or your ability or your intellect or the abilities that you have and the skills you've developed inside of you. But instead, you're going to rely on his strength and his ability and his might and his power. God will oftentimes put you in situations that you have to learn to trust and to depend on him. Whenever people say, God will not give you more than you can handle, I say, buddy, get ready because you're about to get a whole lot more than you could ever handle yourself. We've come into this idea that if something is hard, it must not be from God. But here's what I've discovered. is the greater the resistance, the greater the reward is. That the more the resistance happens in your life, The more difficult something is, the more obstacles that stand in your way, the stronger the battle, the greater the fight, the greater the victory that is on the other side. David, he had to wrestle through this. He had to go through this. He found himself constantly in situations where he didn't know what to do. He didn't know where to turn. He didn't know how he was going to get out of this, but he kept believing and hoping and trusting that the promises of God for his life are always true, and he learned that the greater the resistance, the greater the reward is going to be. To be, but only if you don't give up. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 6 9. He says, Let us not grow weary in doing what? In doing good. For in due season, what are we going to do? We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. When you are in your season of waiting, do not give up. I love what it says in Galatians, as Paul says, that we are in a season of reaping. But before the reaping comes what? The sowing. Sometimes there's that season of sowing that is so necessary if you want to be able to reap the rewards and the harvest that God has for your life. You have to go through that sowing season. You have to go through that season of grit and of pain, that season of waiting, that season of preparation. You have to go through that season of of perseverance if you want to be able to receive what God has for you on the other side. When you are waiting, stop giving up. Instead, continue to persevere, continue to press on, continue to move forward. Because the greater the resistance, the greater the reward is going to be. In your life, whatever you're going through, don't give up. Just because you don't see an answer to prayer doesn't mean that God will not answer that prayer. Don't give up. When you're praying for your kids, don't give up praying for your kids. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it ain't going to happen. Keep praying. Don't give up. If you're sick and you need healing, you've come down to the altars one time, come two times, come three times. Don't stop praying for healing in your life. Because here's the truth. If God didn't say no, then assume that the answer is yes. Keep praying. Pray, keep praying for your marriage, keep praying for your spouse, keep praying for your friends. Some of you think your friends are too far gone. You've invited them one time and they rejected you. You've invited them another time to come to church and they haven't accepted that invitation and you're just thinking, maybe they're never going to come. Maybe they're too far gone. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear my testimony. I've asked them and now I'm going to quit bothering them. Can I just tell you do not give up on them. No one is beyond the grace of God. No one is far too far for the hand of God to reach them in their life because the moment that they get as far as they can. God has already met them in that place. Keep inviting your friends. Keep praying. Keep investing in other people. Keep persevering in your prayers. Don't stop. When you're in that waiting season, don't stop. Number two, when you're waiting, keep showing up. The first thing we see is this, is don't give up. Number two is that we see that we need to keep showing up. Here's what it says, and the Lord said to you, so this is them speaking over David at his coronation. You will be the shepherd of my people, and you will become the ruler. When all the elders of Israel, they came together to King David at Hebron. The king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David to be king over Israel. You know, whenever David showed up the first time, he was a shepherd boy, but now when we see him, what is he? He is a, he is a king. David learned a lesson is if you can't lead sheep, you have no business leading people. He started as a shepherd boy, and then he he became a king. And then we see him go from the palace where he was a worshiper, and then he was out on the military battlefields where he became a a warrior. I mean, David really is a, a rag to riches story. I mean, he started at the bottom, and now he's up at the top. That's the life of David. How did David be able to succeed? How did David begin to accomplish? How did David achieve all the things that he achieved in his life? Because he learned this very valuable lesson. Wherever you're at, be all there. Wherever you're at, give it 110%. Bring your best and then some every single time. The valuable lesson that David learned is that you need to keep showing up. Whenever you look on the door in the lobby, you'll see those words, really big, bold black letters above the door. It says, keep showing up. Sometimes people ask me to say, Pastor, why do we have keep showing up on those, on those walls? Normally, I meet somebody in the lobby after service and with tears in their eyes, maybe it's conviction, maybe it's because of joy, maybe they're a first time guest and God's stirring in their hearts, maybe it's something that happened at the altar between services. I'll catch you. That's why, I, that's why I make a beeline to the front door. I'm trying to greet guests, but I'm also trying to encourage people who are experiencing God's stirring in their hearts. And I see a lot of people, and, they, and, and, and with tears in their eyes, they start pouring their heart out to me in the lobby. And what I always do is I turn, and look, and I point to those walls, and I say, You see those three letters, those three words right there? Keep showing up. Keep showing up because God's going to do greater things in your life if you just keep showing up. Those words are important to me because those are the words that about 20 years ago my pastor told me when I first became a Christian. Whenever I first became a Christian, I'm, I'm coming to church. Oddly enough, his name is David, Pastor David Berkheimer at Community Church in Orange, Texas. And me and Ashley, we had just gotten saved and I would come to church, and I was, I was still a wreck. I, I was still a mess. So like some of y'all, I was, I was still a lot of room to grow. We all have a lot of room to grow, amen? And I would come to church, and I would be hungover. I would be up all night doing drugs, and I'd come into church, you know, smelling like cigarettes and weed and regret from the night before. But I just knew that I needed to be at the house of the Lord. And so I would show up to church, and I would try to sneak out really early. None of y'all do that here, right? but I would come late and I would try to sneak out really early because I didn't feel like I belonged there. I didn't feel like church was a place that I would be welcomed at. I believed in God, but I didn't know if God actually loved me. And so I'm wrestling with all this. And so I didn't want anybody to to contact me or to ask me to join a team or be in a small group. So I tried to beeline out really fast. And then Pastor Pastor David, he stopped me on the way out and he looked me in the eyes. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said two things. First thing he says, I'm really glad that you're here. It's the first time I ever truly felt welcomed in a church. I'm glad that you're here. If you're a guest or if you're new, I want you to know I'm glad that you're here. You might even hear me say that to some of of y'all as you come to church. I put my hand on your shoulder. I say, I'm glad that you're here because that's what my pastor told me. But then he said these three words. He said, keep showing up. He said, Byron, I don't care what you did on Saturday night as long as you're here on Sunday morning. He said, because here's what I know is that the more you show up consistently, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, eventually that old way of living is gonna fall away and you're gonna experience the new life that God has for you. And so that's what I did. I just kept showing up. Just consistency. Week by week, month by month, year after year, I just kept showing up until eventually I experienced victory and breakthrough, overcoming, different addictions, relationships. I experienced God's grace and power in ways that I never believed to be possible. And it's all because the encouragement of these three words just to keep showing up. Here's what we know is that successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. Breakthrough, miracles, miracles the hand of God in your life, they don't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen just because you want it to happen in your life. No, it comes with consistency. It comes with perseverance. It comes with patience. It comes with dedication and devotion. See, here's what we know. Successful people do consistently what others do on occasion. We understand that in every area of our lives. When it comes to our education, it's not a matter how smart you are. But it's a matter of how hard you work when it comes to us getting healthy, whether diet or exercise. What's the difference between a person who's healthy and not healthy? The difference is consistency. When it comes to relationships, it's about consistency in that relationship. And the people that we value like David, they understand this, is that what successful people do with consistency, other people, they only do occasionally. Listen, I have never met anyone who grew closer to God by accident. Never met them. I've never met anybody who grew closer to God, who pursued their passions, who became a you know, tongue-talking, Jericho-marching prayer warrior without any intentionality in their life. No, it's whenever people pray. It's when they make a habit of prayer. It's when they set their calendar to pray. It's when they have a Bible time, when they're in small groups, when they're living in relationship and serving others, they grow closer to God because that is a consistency, I've never met anybody who accidentally overcome a drug addiction, but I have met a lot of people who accidentally become drug addicts. I've never met anybody who accidentally had a marriage that lasted 50 years, but I have met a lot of bodies who had a marriage that didn't even make it 10 years because there was no consistency in their relationship. Nothing happens by accident. It all happens by devotion. And here's the value that we learn is that you keep showing up in your life. Keep showing up in your marriage. Keep showing up in your kids' life. Keep showing up in your small group. Keep showing up in your prayer life. Keep showing up in every area of your life. And that's when you're going to begin to see God do amazing things in your life if you keep showing up. So let me give you some lessons that we learn in those seasons of waiting to encourage you to show up. Number one is this, is that even while you're waiting, you can still win while you wait. Here's what we read just last week where it says, and the women said and sang to celebrate it. They said, Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Over his period of waiting, David, he was still winning. He was still conquering. He was still fighting battles. He was still winning the hearts of the people. He was still winning a great reputation. He was still winning character. He wasn't thinking, I'm not, I'm not yet the king, so I don't have any business growing in my life. No, he, he said, even in this season of waiting, I'm still going to... I'm still going to win. You can still win while you wait. Number two is you can still war while you wait. Look what it says in the verse we read. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led the military campaigns. Even while you're waiting, that's a time of war. Listen, waiting is not vacation time. Right? When you're waiting on God to move, that's not time for you to sit back, wear your flip-flops, and drink some margaritas on the beach. No, waiting season is war season. It's time for you to put your boots on and go to battle, and it's time for you to fight, because in those waiting seasons, you're gonna find war. There's gonna be war against your mind. There's gonna be war against your spirit. There's gonna be a war against your flesh. You're gonna find the enemy is gonna try to come, and he's gonna rob you of your destiny. He's gonna try to prevent you from victory before you ever have the opportunity to succeed because he wants to take you out and destroy the destiny that God has for your life. And so when you're in a waiting season, that's a time of actual war. David was doing war even while he was waiting. You can do war even while you're waiting. Number three, here's what we learned, is that you can work while you wait. See, so many people, they they think, if God wants it to happen, it's just gonna happen. Actually, that's not necessarily true. Is that there is God's will, but at the same time, we still have work to do. See, people, they they think, well, you know, I'm just in my waiting season. And so they become lazy. When you're waiting, we don't want to be lazy. When we're waiting, we want to get to work. Now, some people that say, well, I'm a Christian of the new covenant, and there is no more work for me to do. I'm just going to receive the blessings and honor and the favor of God. I am the head, not the tail. I name it. I claim it. I blab it. I grab it. Ain't no work for me. I said, "I, but, but Byron, I've read the Bible. Ephesians 2.8 says we are saved by grace, not by works, which means I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the blessed life that God has for me. But what does the next verse say in Ephesians 2.10? Yes, we are his workmanship, and we are created for what? For good works, which means you have some work to do. We all have some work to do. You say, but Byron, I have faith. I got gotcha. you. But James says faith without works is Dead. you got to show your faith by your works. If you want to see God do something amazing, get started following after him, trusting after him, believing and blessing other people in your life. Even while you're waiting, you can still be working. Which leads to the, the fourth thing that we see is this. While you're waiting, you can still be worshiping. It says you can win while you wait. You can war while you wait. You can work while you wait. But only if you worship While you wait, what was David doing in his season of the fields? What was David doing in that waiting season whenever he was on the battle lines? Whenever he was hiding in caves, running from Saul? What was what was he doing? Yes, he was winning, yes, he was working, yes, he was in the middle of war, but that entire time he never got too busy to worship God. And in the caves and in the fields and on the battle lines, he spent his days pouring his heart out, worshiping God. And that's how we have the book of Psalms today, because he never got too busy or too distracted to spend time in the presence of God through worship. One of the things I love so much about the Psalms, and at first Wednesday, we're actually teaching through the book of Psalms. So come first Wednesday, we're going to be preaching on the book of Psalms. It's been incredible. But here's what I love about Psalms is that it has a Psalm for basically every emotion that we go through. Whether happy or sad, whether psalms of lament or psalms of thanksgiving, every emotion that we experience personally, David experienced that, and he wrote it down in the book of Psalms. Because no matter what season we are in, we are all going to find ourselves at a place to worship God. And here's what he says. In Psalm 30, 20, it says, Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. We we wait upon the Lord, and as we worship our soul, it rejoices in the waiting of God. Our soul reminds us as we wait that our hope is in the Lord. Our soul reminds us as we wait that he is our refuge, that he is our strength, that he is our strong tower, that he is our portion, that he is our shepherd, that he is our shield, and that he has everything that we need for the season of life that we're in. And so while we are waiting, our souls are still worshiping after God. This is the importance of us learning how to worship even in the season of waiting. Listen, God doesn't need your worship. Do you know that? God doesn't need your worship. It's not like if you cease to worship him, he's gonna stop being God because he's God whether you worship him or not. God doesn't need our worship. We need worship because it's in those moments of worship that God, he begins to show us his glory, show us his might. We surrender our lives and we're able to experience everything that he has for us. We need worship. And when you don't feel like worshiping, that's when you need it the most. When you're in the fields, what do you do? You worship God. When you're in the caves what do you do you worship god when you're on the battle lines what do you do you worship god you keep showing up even when you don't feel like it you keep doing it because it's a discipline it's a habit and here's what we see is that successful people do with consistency what other people only do occasionally here's what i've discovered in my life is that when i show up that's when god begins to show off you experience it yourself You're tired, but you come to first Wednesday anyway. Those are the days that God moves the most, is it not? When you show up, God shows off. When you go to your small group, you may not be feeling it. You may have had a terrible week and a terrible day, and you show up, and those are the best small groups because those are the days that you leave with the greatest source of encouragement. When you show up, God will begin to show off in your life. When you show up at the altars, that's when God begins to move in your life. When you show up in your marriage, that's when God begins to show off in your marriage. When you show up in your kids' lives, that's when God begins to show off in the life of your kids. When you Show up to work saying, I'm going to work this job for the glory of God. That's when God begins to show up. When you trust God with your finances, that's when God will begin to show off in your finances. And as you trust God, as you show up, God will show off in your life. When you show up, that's when God begins to show off. It's so true. David learned the lesson. I've learned the lesson. Hundreds of people in the room today. They've all learned that lesson, and here's the valuable lesson is that you don't give up, you keep showing up. Number three, we learned this, is that we live kingdom up. Here's what we say next. I told you at the beginning of this series that First and Second Samuel are really a, a, a story about two kings. King Saul, a wicked king who rebelled against God and had the kingdom taken away from him. And then David, who was a, a man after the heart of God. In fact, on David's tombstone, his epitaph, what he became remembered of, we read in the book of Acts, chapter 13, 22, it says, When they removed him, that's Saul. He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man who is after my own heart and who will do my will. We see that there's a, a story about two kings, King Saul who led through force, and King David, who led through faith. King Saul, who trusted in his will and his intellect and did what he wanted, when he wanted, however he wanted, to whomever he wanted. And then David, who only did what the father told him to do. We see see two kings. We see a wicked, jealous, greedy king, and we see a humble king who loved to serve both God and others. We see a tale of two kings. And here's what we also recognize is that up until this point, there was a kingdom that was divided. But whenever David became the king, it's what it says. It says that he united Judah and he united Israel and they all came under his lordship. Here's the important lesson is that we have two kings too. We have the King Saul and we have a King David. King Saul represents the world, the ways of the world, the culture that we live in. See, we love Saul's. Now every single one of us we want to be like david but the truth is is there's a saul inside all of us the saul in us is one that's jealous the saul that's in us is the one that's greedy the saul that is in us is the one that seeks our will the saul inside of us is the one who who glorifies the ways of this world we love saul, So we watch movies about saul we, we follow saul on instagram we we check out their magazines we vote for Saul's in political office and then we let Saul's write laws to be able to govern and dictate the way that we, we live our lives. We love Saul and we wish we were more like David but if you surveyed the society we live in, we live in a society that really values and honors people who are like King Saul. Inside all of our hearts we're no different than the Israelites were in 1 Samuel. We want Saul. We want Saul. Give us a king. Give us a king. And over and over again the reason that our society, our hearts, and our nation is the way that it is, is because we consistently elect Saul's to govern our lives. Listen, there's two kings. There's King Saul and there's King David. And here's the reality, is that, is that David will never be able to lead as long as Saul is sitting on the throne. Saul has to die in order for David to rise up into the place that God has called him to. And in your life, the Saul that is in your heart, it must be dethroned. And here's the reason why, because Jesus will never share his throne with anybody else. Until Saul dies, you will never experience the goodness nor the blessings or the promises of God in your life. You have to dethrone Saul and you gotta let Jesus sit on his rightful place. And here's the reason why. It's because he will never share his throne with anyone or anything. The reality is this, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in your life. You can't have it both ways. You can't live with one foot in the kingdom of David and one foot in the kingdom of Saul. The kingdom of your heart must be united with the Lord Jesus as the rightful king. You can't live with the world and you can't live in the word. You must make a decision. You must make a choice. You can follow the God of the Bible. You can follow the God of the world. You can live according to the culture or you can live according to the kingdom. You can either worship at the feet of Saul or you can worship at the feet of David, but you cannot worship at both. You must choose this day who your king is going to be, and live kingdom up. My grandmother, she always told me a story. If you've been around redemption, you've heard it before, but when I was backsliding, and when I was running away from God, she would sit down with me, and she'd say, sweetie, you know the story about the, the fence and, and the two men, right? Say, yeah. She said, okay, there's a guy sitting on the fence, and Jesus comes up, and he says, hey, come and follow me, and the man says, I'm not ready to commit to follow you, Jesus. I like living in your kingdom, but I also like living in the kingdom of the world a little bit. I like being able to go to church whenever I feel like it, but I also like being able to do what I want, when I want, however I want, when I feel like it. And so I'm going to sit right here on the fence. Jesus begged and pleaded for him to follow me, and the man still said no. So the next day, Satan comes up to him, and he says, hey, come and follow me. He said, uh-uh, I know where that path goes to. I know where people who follow you go to. I don't want to follow you. I want to live in one kingdom, and I want to enjoy a little bit of this kingdom, but I ain't going to follow you. And so Satan, he just shrugged his shoulders, and he walked away. And the man hollered out and said, wait, aren't you going to try to convince me to follow you? Satan turned around and said, I own the fence. The fence is the property of Satan. The fence is the property of hell. And for those of you who are sitting on the fence, you need to choose your king. Who are you gonna serve? Who are you gonna follow? You can't live in both worlds and you can't live in both kingdoms. Jesus will not share his glory with anybody else. He will not have a divided kingdom. He wants a united heart. Jesus will not share his throne. On this day, you must decide who your king is. Get off the fence. As long as Saul is king of your heart, Jesus will never be lord of your life. You must live kingdom up. God must be Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all? Is He Lord of your sexuality. Is he Lord of your marriage? Is he Lord of your education? Is he Lord over your finances? Is he Lord over the way that you parent your children? Is he the Lord over the weekends? Or is he only God to you on Sunday mornings? He will not share his kingdom. He will not share his glory. He wants a united heart, not a divided church. He wants us to be one with him. He wants to rule and reign. He wants to be the king of glory in our lives. He's Lord of all. Or he's not Lord at all. You must make a choice. You must make a decision. Who's on the throne of your heart? Is it Saul or is it David? Is it the world or is it Christ himself? Is it you? Are you on the throne of your heart or is Jesus the Lord of your life? We must decide how we are gonna live. We will live kingdom up. Number four, the last one is this, as we start looking up. Here's how the story closes. So far in this message, what we've seen, is Saul and David. We've learned from Saul and his wickedness, his jealousy, the envy, and how eventually it cost him the kingdom of God. And then we learned from David, his humility, his depending and relying on God and seasons of waiting and grace. Saul had to wait until David took the place in the throne. David had to wait until he was able to take the place of the throne. But we also notice in this, there's one more character that oftentimes we overlook, and it's the nation of Israel itself. The people of God, they had to wait for their king to show up too. They had to wait. Look what it says in chapter five, verse one. It says this. It says, and all the tribes, they gather together. The entire kingdom is united. All 12 tribes, they come to be a part of this great coronation. Five one says, and all the tribes were together. I wonder how it felt for those tribes To be under a wicked king, to be under a tyrant, to be under a military leader that would abuse them, mistreat them, misuse them, to serve under King Saul. The the heartache, the heartbreak that they would experience as their nation fell apart, as poverty gripped them, as they lost battles, as their sons and daughters were taken as slaves and servants under a wicked king, and the pain that they must have endured as an entire nation under the hand of one bad, poor leader. And they were crying out, God, I know there's a king coming. Where is this new king? Where is this future king? They knew that David was supposed to be the king, but they just didn't know when David would ascend the throne and and become the king that God had promised him to. They had to learn to wait. In fact, this is the storyline of the Bible from Adam, wherever God spoke a promise to him and Eve that said, The seed of a woman will crush the head of the serpent, the first gospel. But how long until that happened? Thousands of years until they saw the promise come to fulfillment in their life. They had to learn to wait. Abraham had to learn to wait. Moses had to learn to wait. The nation of Israel, they too had to learn how to wait until God, 2,000 years ago, answered this prophecy by sending his only son, Jesus, born of a virgin, to live the perfect life, the life we never could live, and to die the death in our place, the death that we all deserve. And when Jesus goes to the cross and He substitutes himself in our place, forgiving us of our sins, the fulfillment of the kingdom was made evident, that our sins will be forgiven, that we become new creations in Christ Jesus. But here's what we discover is this is that just like the Israelites, even though David was anointed king, he had not yet risen to his place at the throne see jesus two thousand years ago upon the cross he was anointed as the king but yet when we look around we recognize that the kingdom is still not yet fully totally realized it's like ashley when she was pregnant she knew she was a mom but she hadn't yet held the baby it's like those of you who are engaged you're looking forward to the hope of the promise that is the marriage and you already begin to feel the shift that is taking place in your heart but yet at the same time you recognize that it has not yet come to fulfillment The Israelites, they lived in already-not-yet tension. David is already king, but he's not yet king. And you and me as Christians, 2,000 years later, we still live in this tension that Jesus is our king, but yet at the same time, his kingdom is not evident and revealed. We're still living in the kingdom of this world, even though the kingdom of God is living in here. And there's this tension that we all wrestle with and that we all balance with. But here's the reality, is we don't know when, but we do know God will show up and our king will come. That one day Jesus is going to return. We don't know when. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how. Like the Israelites calling out, God, when? I'm waiting. You and me, we are calling out, God, when? Maranatha, God, when are you coming? We are waiting because even though we are followers of Jesus, we still suffer in this world. There's still war. There's still bloodshed. There's still violence. There's still pain that is happening. And sometimes in life we can wait and we wait and we wait, but we're not going to see the fulfillment of the promise until the other side, once Jesus returns and takes his rightful place as the king. Listen, we don't know when Jesus will return, but here's what I can tell you is that we are 50 minutes closer than this sermon began. We are closer today than we were yesterday. And we're closer tomorrow than we were today. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10,000 years in the future. But like the Israelites calling out for King David, we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are calling out for the return of our great good king. Not a king who rules with force, but a king who rules for love. Not a weak king, but a warrior king. A king who serves and loves and cares. A king who is going to right every single wrong. A king who is going to wipe away every single tear. A king that is going to unite the world. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth and we're going to experience the joy and the blessings and the beauty that God always intended for us we are going to experience the great good king and his name is Jesus and Jesus will return we don't know when but all we know is this that God one day will return with his Lord Jesus and on that day will he be your king see David became the greatest king in the nation of Israel but there is a king who is greater than David and his name is Jesus Christ Many of you are waiting, and I believe that, that in this moment right now, God is revealing the reason for your waiting, that he has been preparing you to where you can come to a place to where you can open up your heart and begin to receive what God has in your life. Like the Israelites calling out for a king, that waiting is just reminding you that you need a king. I need a king who's going to deliver me. I need a king who is gonna save me. I need a king who is going to ransom me and set me free. In those seasons of waiting, we remember that Jesus is a good king. And so we cry out for our king, Lord Jesus, rule and reign in my life. Lord Jesus, have your way in my life. And here's what I love. It says all the tribes were gathered together. You know what the portrait of Jesus at the end of all things is? every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, their knees will bow and they will all confess that Jesus is Lord. Right now in this room, we have people from all different backgrounds and walks of life. Would you be willing today to make that profession of faith that Jesus is Lord of all? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you wanna give your life to Jesus, let him be your king. as he steps in his rightful place as king. Be like the Israelites who welcome Jesus as this king with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you would like to make a public declaration, Jesus is my king, that I'm gonna serve him, I'm gonna follow him, I'm gonna give my life to him. In these seasons of waiting, I'm gonna put my trust in him with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus, just slip your hands up. One, Jesus loves you. Two, Jesus cares for you. Three, Jesus is the king. Raise your hand. Let's celebrate. Come on, all across the room. Thank you so much. As a church. But here's what I want to do as we close. As people are making a decision for faith, here's what I want to encourage you with three thoughts. For those of you are waiting, I know it's hard, I know it's painful, I know that it's difficult. But I wanna close with three thoughts and then I'm gonna pray for you. Is when you are waiting, three ideas. Number one, maybe you're waiting because God is working on it. God's working, God always hears, he always cares, he's answering prayers, he's moving behind the scenes. Maybe the reason you're waiting is because it's not ready yet. Maybe it's not your time. Maybe it's not your moment. Maybe the opportunities haven't come to fruition yet, and maybe he's working on it in the background. So don't come frustrated when you're waiting. Maybe God's working on it. Number two, maybe God's working on you. Maybe it's not ready. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe God's developing you. Maybe God's working on some character. Maybe he's getting rid of some sin. Maybe he's helping you learn to pray and to knock off some of those old habits. Maybe it's not ready. Maybe you're not ready. Number three, maybe it's both. Maybe God's working on it. And also maybe God's working on you because here's what I've discovered. Before God does something for you, God oftentimes wants to do something in you. Maybe the reason you're waiting is because God is working in you. If David would have became king at 10 years old, he wouldn't have had the wisdom or the grace or the strength to be able to lead the nation. And if you got everything you asked for the moment you wanted it, I don't know if you would be able or mature enough to handle it. And so maybe God's working on it. Maybe God's working on you, but probably God's working on both, amen? Because before he does something for you, God wants to do something in you. And so if you're here today and you want God to do something in your heart, just raise your hand right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we raise our hands to worship and to sing. God, we raise our hands. In our season of waiting, we declare that it will be a season of trusting. In our season of waiting, we will declare that it will be a season of growth. In our seasons of waiting, we're going to stop asking God why, and we're going to start asking God what. In our seasons of waiting, we are going to depend on you, God. Allow Your Spirit to rush in and to begin to work inside the lives of the hearts of the people who call redemption home. Every single person in here, God, bring strength, bring bring provision, bring correction, bring conviction, bring change. God, begin to stir in their hearts right now in that season of waiting. Let them win the victories that are up against them, God. In that season of waiting, I. declare there will be warriors in this house who will overcome temptation, who will overcome spiritual warfare. I declare that there are men and women who will work, work for the glory of God, work for the good of the kingdom of God. They will work on themselves, they'll work on their families, God, that even while they're waiting, they're never going to stop working on themselves and never going to stop letting you work in their lives. And God, I declare that this will be a church filled with worshipers. In their season of waiting, they will worship you. In their season of waiting, they will depend on you. In that season of waiting, they will declare with you. God, we pray that our church will be a house of worshipers in their season of waiting, like men and women after the of God. Like David, we'd stand, we'd sing, we'd worship that you are God. Church, let's stand right now. Let's worship and sing that he is our God. He is our King. He is working. He is moving. He is mighty. He is strong. We praise him in Jesus' name.